Well, good morning, Southwinds. It's always good to see you, and it's great to see you again this morning. Thank you for joining us. I always want to welcome those who are joining us online. We are so grateful that you are here uh, with us virtually, and we welcome you uh, as we study God's Word together. We are beginning a brand new series today called Summer Songs. And this summer as a church family, uh, from now until the end of August, we are going to be exploring one of my favorite Bible books, which is the book of Psalms. I know that's also true uh, for many of you as well. And today to kick this off, we're gonna do a different kind of message. Uh, It's gonna be an overview of the entire book of Psalms. And I'm calling it God's Top 150. Uh, because the Psalms are the songbook of the Bible. The 150 Psalms are a collection of the greatest songs, the greatest expressions of devotion that we know. And my prayer for this summer for you is that you will make the Psalms yours, maybe in a way that you have never done before. You know, for over 3,000 years, the Psalms have been the greatest collection of prayers in the history of the human race. And I don't know if you've ever thought about this before, but it's true. The Psalms were Jesus' prayer book. The Psalms gave Jesus words to pray. And they have been, for 2,000 years now, the prayer book of all Jesus' followers. And they can become yours. And to prepare us for learning more about the Psalms throughout this summer, what I want to do today is give you some handles that will help you grab hold of what's going on in this book. Instead of us just looking, say, at one Psalm and exploring it in some depth, what we're going to do today is talk about a number of different kinds of Psalms so that we can understand them better as we we read them and as we pray them, especially in the weeks ahead. And so I wanna start by saying a word about what the Psalms are not. What the Psalms are not. The Psalms are not uplifting devotions to make our days happy. Sometimes people think they are. And sometimes people buy these little devotional books that have cheery little thoughts and, and, and cheery words. And they, they, they read maybe a page a day with their coffee and they wanna start things off, you know, with a positive mental attitude. And, and then they can hopefully take those thoughts with them through the day just to make them happy. And that's not a bad thing to do. But if you read the Psalms looking for uplifting thoughts, it only works out well about half the time. Uh, About the other half of the time, that doesn't work so well. Maybe you've noticed this. I'll give you an example. Psalm 136 is a psalm of thanksgiving, and this is how it begins. Give thanks to the Lord, for he is good. His love endures forever. Give thanks to the God of gods. His love endures forever. Give thanks to the Lord of lords. His love endures forever. And it just goes on like this throughout this entire psalm, and it's a great psalm, and if you read it, it really, you know, it really gives you a great frame of mind. It really kind of pumps you up just to think of how good God is, and then Like the next day, you open the book of Psalms again and you get to Psalm 137. And that psalm ends like this. O daughter of Babylon, doomed to destruction, happy is he who repays you for what you have done to us. He who seizes your infants and dashes them against the rocks. And it's like, well, somebody got up on the wrong side of the bed this morning. You know, what is up with that? That is not a happy thought for the day ahead. Nobody's putting that on a T-shirt or a coffee mug, right? 
I mean, what do you do with that? And you know, the Bible has all kinds of different literature in it. Sometimes we don't realize it. It has history. It has books of wisdom, you know, like uh, Proverbs. It has biographies, like the story of Jesus. It has, it has Paul's letters. And it's important for us as we read the Bible to understand what we're reading. It's important to understand what kind of literature the Psalms are. And you might say the Psalms are something like reading someone's journal. And that's really, I think, what the Psalms are. They're these uncensored, unfiltered, raw expressions of the heart. Now, some of you have journaled, you know kind of what I'm talking about. It's sort of like that. None of the, the highs and the lows get flattened out. You just put it all there. You write it all down. And I heard about a guy who um, says that one of his kids never has had an unexpressed thought or feeling. Anybody have kids like that? Some of you are married to someone like that, maybe. Well, the Psalms are kind of that way. They, they give words to God's people. And you think about this, in one of the greatest days in the history of the human race, we call it the day of the triumphal entry, Jesus the Christ, he rides into Jerusalem, and on this day of great celebration, you just get a little taste of what it would be like to live in the kingdom of God, and how do you give voice? to unspeakable joy, only the Psalms. And so in the Gospels, we read from Psalm 118, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And then, just a few days later, in the darkest moment of human history, Jesus hangs on the cross, utterly abandoned, utterly alone, and for the only time in all eternity, the Son is estranged, from the Father, the fellowship of the eternal three in one, the Trinity is broken. How do you give voice to unspeakable sorrow? Only the Psalms and Jesus prays in that moment these words from Psalm 22, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? If you're paying attention when you read the Gospels, you will begin to notice that Jesus is so immersed in the Psalms that they give voice to everything that he goes through. They give voice here to his greatest anguish, the greatest anguish in his heart on the cross. You know, all of the Bible is God's word to us. Part of what I, I love about the Psalms is this. They were written also to become our words to God. Happy parts, sad parts, high parts, low parts, everything in between. Now, some of you who are kind of really detail-oriented, maybe a little bit wound uh, tight, sometimes you have high administration gifts. Maybe, maybe you found yourself wondering sometimes, why, why didn't they organize the Psalms better? I mean, why didn't they like put all the happy ones together and all the sad ones together and all the mad ones over here, you know, just so we could know where they are. And I, I think the Psalms are kind of random, like they seem to be sometimes, and kind of messy, because life is kind of random and messy, isn't it? Ever notice how a happy day and a sad day sometimes come right next to each other? Ever notice how sometimes a happy day and a sad day happens on the same day? See, the Psalms teach us to bring all of our lives in all of their fullness before our God in all of his fullness. 
They teach us to bring our lives with all their messiness, all the ups and all the downs before God and all that God is. So today, what we're going to do is we're gonna look at six different kinds of Psalms, categories of Psalms, and I'm gonna give you examples of each. And along the way, kind of to set the stage for this entire summer, I'm gonna be giving you some suggestions for homework, things that you can do on your own, ways that you can read and, and you can pray and you can put these Psalms into practice, ways that you can in the days ahead make the Psalms your words to God. And my hope for us as a Southwinds family this summer is that we will more and more become able to do what Jesus did, which was make the Psalms our prayer book. I, I hope that become, they will come that for you, that they'll become increasingly a, a way for you to speak to God what's on your heart and, and just to know this is how God's people have communicated with God now for thousands and thousands of years. If you were here last week, that's why we handed out then this, this uh, Psalm reading challenge. Some of you picked it up today. If you didn't get one today, there are some for you on the way out that you can have. And we would just want you to participate in this. This is not just something for you to come and hear messages on Sunday. This is a, a time where we can all engage God's word in a fresh way. And so we're challenging you. That The challenge is simply this, that you would read through the entire book of Psalms in the next 90 days by the basically about the end of August. And uh, I have a couple of things I wanna say about this. Uh, we want, our purpose in this is that as a church family, we would have together a time where we're growing in intimacy with God through the Psalms. And, and if you're a parent here, you should know, maybe your kids have told you, but some of them haven't, that we're also doing something for our students, our junior high and high school students, kind of scaled for them. We're doing something for our kids younger than that, scaled for them so that all of us together can participate in some way. And, and I wanna say, in addition to this, um, I know that maybe for some of you right now, reading all 150 Psalms in 90 days might, might seem a little daunting. If that's the case for you, my suggestion is just read one Psalm a day. That's not illegal this summer here at Southwinds. You can just read one a day. If you do that, you'll be done in early November. If you miss a few days along the way, you'll be done a few days after that, no big deal. You don't even have to read all of the Psalms in order, okay? See, this challenge, let me be real clear, is not about us saying that we did something spiritual. This is not about us earning God's favor somehow, some way. It is about us encountering God in his word and allowing God to speak through his word to our hearts. And so the most important thing is that you take time this summer to take this part of God's word seriously. And I hope you'll do that. I hope you'll just use this, this challenge to help you engage with and experience more and more of the word of God. So six kinds of Psalms for today. And I'm gonna start by saying this at the most basic level. You can divide uh, psalms into two different camps. There are the hymns, and the hymns are the psalms that, that praise God uh, for his great goodness. And then there are the laments. And these are the psalms that ask God for help in times of, of difficulty, desperation, or need. Maybe you can think of them as psalms in major keys and psalms in minor keys. And so what I'm gonna do today with these six categories is we're gonna spend most of our time in the first 
two categories, and we're gonna start with the happy ones. Does that sound good? We're gonna start with the hymns, and you can write this down on your notes. Hymns are the psalms that praise God for his goodness. Praise God for his goodness. And I wanna encourage you right now to turn to Psalm 103. And while you're turning, uh, let me give you some more background on psalms in general and the kind of poetry that they are because psalms are poetry. Now, in English, we recognize something as poetry usually by, by rhymes and by rhythm. You know, for example, twinkle, twinkle, little star, how I wonder what you are right? There's, there's rhyme and there's rhythm to that. And we, we know that is poetry when we hear something like that, but they don't do, they didn't do that um, in Hebrew poetry. Not at all. Uh, Hebrew poetry, which the Psalms are, is characterized by what is called parallelism, uh, where a thought gets expressed in pairs that run alongside each other. And I'm going to point out to you three primary kinds of parallelism. Uh, the most basic kind is called synonymous parallelism, and this is where two thoughts express the same idea, reinforcing and highlighting it. The second kind is synthetic parallelism, and that's where the, the second phrase elaborates on or expands on the first phrase. And then the third kind is antithetic parallelism, and that's where Two statements are set in contrast or in opposition to each other that make a point. And we see this in this very familiar Psalm, Psalm 103. Let me begin by reading in verses one and two. Uh, the psalmist writes, praise the Lord, O my soul. All my inmost being praise his holy name. This is synonymous parallelism. O my soul is parallel to all my inmost being. It's another way of saying the same thing. Praise his holy name is another way of saying praise the Lord. And so the, the parallelism reinforces and highlights and it just stresses the absolute importance of praise. In verse two, praise the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. And then the psalmist starts to, to number some of God's benefits. Verse three says, who forgives all your sins and heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit and crowns you with love and compassion, who satisfies your desires with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. And what we see here is synthetic parallelism. The second phrase extends, spans, explains what's behind the first phrase. And one Old Testament scholar says this about the second verse. He says, the coordination of bless and don't forget expresses a profound truth, and it's this, only those who praise do not forget. Forgetting God and turning away from God begins when praise is silenced. See, why are praise and worship so important? People wonder sometimes, maybe some of you have asked the question, why is God always asking us, telling us we're supposed to praise him? Why does that matter to him? Is it like God's insecure or something? Does God sit around, you know, and he has this need for people to bolster his ego, to tell him how good he is and stuff like that? And the answer, of course, is not at all. Uh, C.S. Lewis has written about this question maybe more profoundly than anyone else, and he expresses this truth that there's something about human nature. Whenever we see something beautiful, something admirable, something valuable, our instinct, our reflex is to express praise. 
And Lewis says our experience of that thing is incomplete until we're able to give voice to the, the wonder that, that's in our hearts. It's, it's like when you drive to Yosemite, you go through the tunnel and that vista unfolds before you, right? Or maybe it's when you see the sun set across the Grand Canyon or you're on the shores of the Pacific Ocean and just something almost magical seems to happen. Maybe it's when you, you watch the, the Giants win three World Series in five years. That other team, which shall not be named, has never done that still, despite all the money that they have spent buying wins for their baseball team, only have one World Series, kind of a cheap one, you know, 60 games and all of that. Maybe, maybe it's when you see the Olympics this summer and you watch athletes and you see the human body do amazing things. It's just this inevitable, almost instinctive, reflexive response, right? You can't help it. You want to praise, you want to applaud. And, and when that gets short-circuited, our experience of that uh, wonderful thing is lessened. Here's another picture of it. It's a question for the single men who are here. Let, let's say you, you see a beautiful woman and you know her and you like her and you, you, you just are, are filled with admiration for her beauty. Who do you want to express that admiration to? And the correct answer would be her. You, you want to tell her that she looks nice. And if you're single, and you don't understand that, that probably explains something about why you're single, maybe. I don't know. But the point is that praise is best when it's expressed directly to someone, to that person. And if that person receives that praise and takes joy in that praise and they let you know, that is just the best, isn't it? I mean, it means you're in a relationship and that you are giving and receiving joy and love together. And when a human being encounters God, an all-wise, all-loving, utterly holy, infinitely powerful, completely merciful, ceaselessly patient, beautiful, and joy-filled God, our experience of him will never be complete unless we can express the praise and the wonder that is in our hearts and tell him directly, Right? And see, when we know that he receives that and he delights in that, it doesn't get any better because we know we're in relationship with him. Uh, hymns or psalms of praise generally have two parts to them. One of them will almost always be, uh, you'll see a call to worship and that's what we see at the beginning of Psalm 103. Praise the Lord, O my soul. The psalmist calls himself to worship, and then actually at the end of Psalm 103, he calls others to worship. Verses 20 to 22 say, praise the Lord, you his angels, you mighty ones who do his bidding, who obey his word. Praise the Lord, all his heavenly hosts, you his servants who do his will. Praise the Lord, all his works everywhere in his dominion. Praise the Lord, oh my soul. And the call to worship really is an important part of, of hymns. Uh, these psalms of praise. And, and then the other part of hymns, psalms to praise, 
are just simply going to be reasons why God is worthy of praise. Psalmist, the psalmist will list those reasons out in different ways. And we kind of see an interesting example of this again in Psalm 103, and this is in verses 15 and 17. And, uh, and what we're gonna see here is an example of that third kind of parallelism, synthetic parallelism. In verse 15, it says, as for man, his days are like grass. In other words, you know, we're, we're finite, right? We, we don't live forever. Verse 17 says, but from everlasting to everlasting, the Lord's love is with those who fear him. So, so antithetic parallelism, it makes this contrast here between human beings and God. Human beings are finite, God's eternal. But something interesting happens here. Maybe you noticed it. It, it says, as for man, his days are like grass. And so we would expect the psalmist to say, as for God, his days are eternal, from everlasting to everlasting. But he doesn't. What does the psalmist say? He says, God's love is everlasting. And what we see here is that the psalmist is overwhelmed, not just by the eternality of God, but by God's love that just never ends. I mean, you never get to the bottom of God's love. I mean, how can you not wanna worship a God like that? See, God's love is what moves the psalmist to express praise and delight. And that is at the beating heart of what it means to worship. And, and this is so important to understand. We get confused sometimes in churches about this. You know, the essence of worship is not great music. And a lot of people wanna talk about worship like worship is synonymous with music, but it's not. Worship is not primarily about me getting to hear music that I like. And worship is also not about having an emotional experience. And, you know, sometimes people go to a worship service and, and their real focus ends up kind of being on, can I feel whatever it is I want to feel? And they think they worshiped if they feel those feelings, but that's not at the heart of true worship. And sometimes you have feelings. Sometimes God gives you great joy in worship. And that's great when he does that. But it's not the heart of worship. The heart of worship is to reflect on and delight in the greatness and the goodness and the glory of God. And then to express that directly to him and to know that God receives that from you. And that's where the Psalms help us so much. I wanna give you some examples of hymn Psalms so you can kind of know where some of them are. Maybe check them out later. If you're taking notes um, in the app, these are already written out for you. Maybe that'll get you to go check that out. They're already there written down. And what I hope you will do this week is to take some time to just sing to God through the Psalms maybe by reading some of these psalms that are listed here or finding some others that express this. And we wanna do that right now in this moment. Just praise God. And, and we're gonna do that by reading God's word together. And I wanna read a few more verses from Psalm 103. So if you'll follow along with me, the verses are on the screen. We're gonna start with verse eight. We're gonna go on to verse 14. But let's read to God his word here in this psalm. The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in love. He will not always accuse, nor will he harbor his anger forever. He does not treat us as our sins deserve or repay us according to our iniquities. 
For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his love for those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far has he removed our transgressions from us. As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. For he knows how we are formed. He remembers that we are dust. Now, we're gonna shift uh, with this to a different kind of psalm, the second kind, and that are, is the psalm, uh, the psalms of lament. Psalms of laments. And these are psalms that, that cry out to God for help. And I want you to turn to Psalm 42. And some of you hearing this may think that you don't really know how to lament. But I have a kind of diagnostic question for you. How many of you, you know how to complain? Would you just raise your hand right now? I just wanna see what a grumpy looking service this one is here. But we all know how to complain, right? In fact, some of you, you wonder if maybe that's your spiritual gift, the gift of complaining. You're just so good at it, you do it all the time. Well, here's the point. If you know how to complain, you know how to lament because a lament is basically a complaint. And here's an interesting fact. Maybe you've never heard this before, but it's true. This category of psalms, lament psalms, is actually the largest category of psalms in the whole book of psalms. There's more lament psalms than any other kind. And I think that says something wonderful about our God that God doesn't just delight when we bring praise to him, that our God longs also for us to bring to him our hurts and our burdens, our, our pain, our, our doubt. Psalm 42 is one of those psalms. Let me read some verses from it to you. Beginning in verse one, the psalmist writes, as the deer pants for streams of water, so my soul pants for you, O God, my soul Thirst for God, for the living God. When can I go and meet with God? My tears have been my food day and night, while men say to me all day long, where is your God? These things I remember as I pour out my soul, how I used to go with the multitude, leading the procession to the house of God with shouts of joy and thanksgiving among the festive throng. Why are you downcast, O my soul? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. And look at verses nine through 11. I say to God, my rock, why have you forgotten me? Why must I go about mourning, oppressed by the enemy? My bones suffer mortal agony as my foes taunt me, saying to me all day long, where is your God? Why are you downcast, O my soul? Why so disturbed within me? Put your hope in God, for I will yet praise him, my Savior and my God. I want you to notice something very significant. It'll be very important to some of you, because some of you think you're only serving God when you're saying, I'm just praising the Lord. Some of you think that you should always be saying, I'm just praising the Lord. But this psalmist, it's very clear, is not saying, I'm just praising the Lord, it's all good. He's saying, my life is falling apart. I'm crying day and night. My health is failing. My enemies are mocking me. And God, you're not doing anything. 
I'm desperate, I'm without hope. It's like I'm dying over here, God. Now notice something else. How exactly is this psalmist's life falling apart? And the answer is, we don't know. The answer is, in the Psalms, we almost never know. And this is an interesting thing. The Psalms are very different in this way from most of the Old Testament. You know, the Old Testament is just filled with details, names of individuals and places and tribes and battles and on and on and on. But the Psalms are usually very, very general. Very few details like this in the Psalms. And I think it's intentional I think it's because the Psalms were written so that that people in lots of different circumstances, including yours, including mine, could hear the Psalms speak into their lives so that we could hear what's happening, read the Psalms, and use those Psalms to give voice to what's going on in our own lives. Now, if you study the Lament Psalms, you'll find that they generally talk about four kinds of problems. And we find all four here in Psalm 42. They talk about enemies. They they talk about sickness. They talk about death. They talk about traps. Look at verse nine. It says, why must I go about mourning oppressed by the enemy? There's enemies. My bones suffer. That's sickness. Mortal agony. That's the fear of death. My soul is is downcast. That's about feeling trapped, maybe stuck. And these these are these deliberately general categories for all of us to adapt to our specific lives. Let me kind of go through them to help you understand them. Enemies refers to anything you need deliverance from. Uh, This usually involves people, conflict, tension, rivalry. An enemy at different times could be your boss or a neighbor, maybe a coworker. It could be a spouse. It could be on some days, everyone on the 580. It could be someone you usually love, maybe someone you're sitting next to right now. It could be depression or fear or loneliness or sin, whatever you need deliverance from. Illness, the second category, expresses just the depth of the problem. In other words, it's, it's affecting my, my body. I'll give you a, a familiar kind of uh, picture of this ever seen a flashing blue light in your rearview mirror? Ever feel a a physiological response someplace in your body when you see that light? Here's the truth about us. We just carry things around in our body all day, right? And uh, I think in our culture, we, we separate our minds and our bodies in a way that's biblically not accurate. It certainly doesn't reflect the Hebrew mindset that we see so clearly in the Old Testament. There was, a, there was a, an awareness of the unity of the body and the mind all together in one thing. And this is just a reality for us we forget sometimes. We just end up carrying things around in our bodies all day, anxious about a test, afraid of failing at work, mad about a blow up at home, worried about money, worried about a child. We end up walking around with churning stomachs, stiff necks, aching backs, sweaty palms, boiling blood. You see, everyone in this room knows exactly what the psalmist means when he says, my bones suffer. And in a sense, I think you could think of it like this. God is using your body to tell you to pray. 
see, life in this world, this fallen world, is more, far more than you were ever intended to, to be able to handle on your own. So you must pray. This sense of trouble is often so severe in Psalms of Lament that the psalmist speaks of being at the point of death. The, the idea here is I don't see any way out. I'm just out of hope. The life is getting squeezed out of me. The fourth category is related to this, the sense of being trapped. The psalmist will use images like being drowned or being down in a pit. Redeem my life from the pit. That's Psalm 103. In Psalm 40, uh, the psalmist says, my feet are trapped in miry clay. And the idea is I'm just stuck. I'm, I'm stuck in my financial life. I'm stuck in my marriage. I'm stuck in habitual sin, stuck in destructive relational patterns. I'm just stuck, God, and I don't know how to get out. Some examples of lament psalms are on the screen. Maybe you wanna write them down. And then I wanna say um, a word about a special subcategory of lament psalms that you've probably encountered. These are called, uh, by Bible scholars, imprecatory psalms. And it's not a word uh, that we use real often in general terms, but you've run across these psalms, I'm sure. And in imprecatory psalms, what happens is the psalmist expresses shockingly strong wishes for the destruction of his enemies. And there's about 18 of these psalms that have at least some element of this, and they are very disturbing when you've read them. I read a few verses from Psalm 137 a few moments ago. There's another imprecatory psalm, Psalm 58, and the psalmist speaks of his enemies and says, break the teeth in their mouth, O God. Is that a Bible prayer you've ever prayed? He goes on to say, like a stillborn child, may they not see the sun. And in case you don't get it, the psalmist wants his enemies to die. You probably haven't prayed that one. Or if you did, you felt guilty about it. What do we do with words like this. As Christ followers, we read things like this and we find ourselves wondering, I mean, how can I reconcile these words with what Jesus taught his followers? I mean, Jesus said, love your enemies, pray for those who, who persecute you, turn the other cheek. Now, a lot has been written on these imprecatory Psalms and there's a lot of debate, a lot of discussion, a lot of different interpretations. But um, I wanna give you kind of a summation of the best comment on them that I know. And this one comes from a man named Miroslav Volf. He's a theologian who teaches at Yale. He's originally from Croatia. And if you know anything about recent history, you will know this means that he knows something about pain and violence and oppression and genocide. And this is what he writes about these Psalms. He uses just one brief phrase. Rage belongs before God. Rage belongs before God. And I think this is just deeply true. It's the only safe place for it. I think that these imprecatory psalms are just unfiltered expressions of hearts that know enormous pain, great injustice, 
And instead of taking vengeance into his own hands, what happens is the psalmist lays out his heart before God in just utter honesty, shocking candor. He's saying, God, you're gonna have to bring justice. God, you're gonna have to enable me to forgive because I can't do it on my own. Rage belongs before God. So here's some homework for you on this. Where in your life do you need to lament before God. Where in your life? Everyone has some area where you deeply need God's help. Some of you have experienced something in your life, maybe deeply in your past, maybe closer to the present, but it's created rage in you, deep injustice, something you cannot do anything about, abuse, abandonment, violence, rejection. What are you gonna do with that? The psalmists tell us we take it before God. And I wanna tell you, you should feel biblical permission to pray to God the honest truth that you are feeling and thinking about whoever did whatever was done to you. That could be the start of healing for some of us, that we take it to God and we tell him what we think, where our heart is in this moment. If you have this kind of rage, this kind of hurt, this kind of anger, something that you can't forgive, tell God about it. You know, for some of us, it just may be some kind of enemy we need deliverance from, something that's just weighing us down, some place where we need strength or wisdom, we need healing, we need to learn how to forgive, we need hope. Maybe you're just stuck. Maybe you're desperate for God's help, like a deer dying of thirst in a land where there's no water. So my encouragement to you today is maybe sometime later today, maybe sometime later this week, that you find one of these psalms that's up on the screen and you read it and then you pray it before God. Let God's word in the book of Psalms become the prayer of your heart. Bring your lament, bring even your rage before God. I wanna give us a little bit of a starter on that right now. We're just gonna take a brief moment to, to pray. So I'm gonna encourage you, would you to bow your heads, close your eyes, just focus on God. This is just between you and God. And in silent prayer, just do what the psalmist does. Just come before God with an open heart, fully honest words, whatever your deepest need is. Make your lament before God. I'm gonna lead us now as I, I voice prayers that are being prayed silently. Heavenly Father, you hear every prayer. You know every heart. Lord, you count every tear. You know, Father, the stories of all the men and the women in this room who will not make it if you don't help. And so in this moment, because you ask us to, as your people have done for thousands of years, Lord, in this moment we place before you our heaviest burdens, our biggest worries, 
Lord, our darkest fears. And God, we do this because you invite us to. You ask us to come to you. We, we do this trusting that you are the God who hears and cares for his people. And we do this, Father, together as your children. We pray these things in Jesus' name and all God's people say, amen. You know, the psalmist never got over the overwhelming awareness that our God hears and he cares, that he hears every prayer, he hears every heartache and God acts and God answers and God moves. And this leads right into the next kind of psalm and this one really fits in uh, with psalms of lament. It's called psalms of thanksgiving. This is the third category, psalms that thank God for helping us. And the way it often happened was this, in a lament I cry out to God for help and then God acts and then I thank him. And one of the great psalms of thanksgiving is Psalm 30. And again, I want us to read some of these words together out loud. Uh, this is a psalm of thanksgiving to God. We're gonna read verses four and five and then verses 11 and 12. So would you join me as we read God's word? Sing to the Lord, you saints of his. Praise his holy name. For his anger lasts only a moment, but his favor lasts a lifetime. Weeping may remain for a night, but rejoicing comes in the morning. You turned my wailing into dancing. You removed my sackcloth and clothed me with joy, that my heart may sing to you and not be silent. Oh, Lord, my God, I will give you thanks forever, forever. Here's your homework with this one. Sometime in the days ahead, sometime this summer, why don't you write your own personal psalm of thanksgiving to God? Doesn't have to be long. Doesn't need to be profound or poetic. Just write it out. Write out your thankfulness. And to give you some models to kind of pattern what you're gonna write, here are some examples of thanksgiving psalms. And, and you should know that generally, Psalms of Thanksgiving had three parts. The psalmist would say, first, uh, God, I remember how I was in need. Second, I cried out to you for help and you acted. And then third, God, I just wanna say thanks. I just wanna say thanks. Maybe you'll think about that time when you became a follower of Christ and you'll say, God, I was dead in my sins and I was without hope and I needed forgiveness and I, I called out to you and you saved me, you forgave me, you adopted me as your child. Maybe you needed healing and God healed you. Maybe you had financial needs and God was generous to you. Maybe you were sad, you were in deep pain and God gave you comfort. Maybe, maybe you're useless, you felt useless and God gave you purpose. Maybe you felt alone and God sent a friend. Maybe you were anxious and God gave you peace and hope. I don't know what it is, but I know that you have prayed and God has answered and God has given you good things, amen? amen. And so I know, therefore, that we should say thanks. Here's the fourth kind of psalm. Wisdom Psalms, and these are psalms that, that give instruction and guidance. These are psalms that typically praise God's law, God's word for its beauty, and, and they are intended to motivate us 
to desire to want to do the will of God, to obey God. And the most remarkable of these wisdom psalms is Psalm 119. Maybe you're familiar with it. Maybe you've encountered it. It's, it's a psalm of 176 verses, the longest psalm in the Bible, 176 verses, all about delighting in God's laws. And it's a fascinating psalm. It's actually known as an acrostic psalm. And what that means is it's arranged alphabetically. Now, if you can do the math, maybe you can follow with this. Uh, There are 22 stanzas of eight verses each. And each of these stanzas in sequence, every line in the stanza begins with the same letter of the Hebrew alphabet. It would be like the first stanza, uh, every line begins with the letter A. The second stanza, every line begins with the letter B, except that's English. They don't have A and B in Hebrew. But the whole psalm is organized like this, and it's just this beautiful, uh, wonderful expression uh, of praise to God uh, for his word, his word which teaches us and challenges us and comforts us and, and, and tells us who God is. Now, I want us to, uh, again, uh, read a few verses from Psalm 1, and I want you to read again out loud with me these verses. Probably some of you have learned uh, these verses in the past, very familiar, but they're about God's word and the importance of it. So join with me. Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked or stand in the way of sinners or sit in the seat of mockers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever he does prospers. Now, wisdom psalms, they are psalms that teach us something very important. I don't know if you've ever thought about this. They teach us that God is the smartest being in the universe. Do you understand that? God is the smartest being in the universe. And what that means, first of all, is God knows the best way to live. God knows how you should live so that you will be healthy and whole, so that you will flourish in your life. God knows the best way to live. It also means that we are wise if we listen to him And when we think that we can do things that God tells us not to do, we are being unwise. I wanna give you some examples of wisdom psalms. You can see them here. Psalm one, uh, one of the most familiar. Uh, uh, The psalmist tells us this, this way of blessing, this way of success. And he's talking about success far beyond material wealth. He says success, true blessing, comes from knowing and following God's word. Wisdom Psalms remind us that true happiness is found in God's word. And so we read them and we're just inspired to immerse our lives in the beautiful word of God. Quick homework for you right here is something we're gonna do each week. We're gonna encourage you to memorize a verse each week. It's up to you if you take it on. But here's our verse for this week. It's a familiar verse for some of you. It's a pretty brief verse, not difficult uh, to, to memorize Psalm 119, 11, and it says this, I have hidden your word in my heart that I might not sin against you. And I wanna encourage you to memorize this verse. That's hiding 
God's word in your heart when you, you, you memorize it. And we're gonna be sharing with you each week some suggestions for verses from the psalm to memorize. You can use what we suggest or maybe you're gonna pick your own. Uh, just keep watching on social media, listen in the messages. And, and what we're about here is we just want God's word, which reveals God's heart, to become deeply embedded in our hearts. And we can do that as we memorize it. Number five, fifth kind of psalms are what are called penitential psalms. These are psalms that teach us to confess our sins to God. And I just have a simple question to ask you which shows you how important these psalms are. Anyone here make it through this last week without committing sin? I mean, any failure to disobey God, whether through your actions or words or thoughts, Anybody really blow it already this morning? Don't need to raise your hand on that. But the reality is we sin, amen? And we sin regularly. That means we need cleansing, we need forgiveness. So the penitential Psalms show us how that can happen. They show us how to confess sins, how to receive forgiveness. And we really need help because have you ever noticed we don't always know when we sin, right? We call sometimes these things blind spots, which can make them seem innocuous. But it's a reality. We don't always know, and so we need God's help in God's word for us to see. A great prayer for this is in the 19th Psalm, verses 12 and 13. This is something I actually would recommend that you pray often. I mean, just pray these verses. And here's how it goes. Who can discern his errors? Forgive my hidden faults. Keep your servant also from willful sins. May they not rule over me. Then will I be blameless, innocent of great transgression. We need God's word to open up things so we can see the reality that we miss so many times. I was reminded this week about how technology, uh, things like MRIs and CAT scans can allow us to find hidden toxic things you know, in our body, and sometimes it's very important. Sometimes that's what saves us. And, and I was reminded uh, by a story that I came across a few years ago. There was a pastor in Southern California who had a five, five-year-old daughter named Haley, and she was climbing a tree, and she fell out of that tree from about 10 feet up, 10 feet down to the ground, a dangerous fall. And they rushed her to the hospital. They did x-rays and CAT scans and and they discovered she wasn't damaged by the fall, but they found a brain tumor. And it was benign, but it was growing. And so they did surgery and the surgery was successful. And it turns out the doctors concluded that her her life was saved because she fell out of a tree and they did x-rays that they wouldn't have done. They found a disease they wouldn't have found otherwise. Not too long after this, the the pastor's mom, Haley's grandma, said that she pictured two guardian angels looking over that little girl when she was up in the tree and one of them was saying to the other, you push her. And the other said, no, you push her. And the psalmist says, how can I find what's toxic to my soul, what could destroy my heart and sear my conscience, what could separate me from the God I wanna give my life to. Only God, you're the only one that can do that and you do it in your word. 
Here are some examples of penitential psalms. And again, I would encourage you to make these a regular part of your, your times of prayer with God. Next week, just in a little advanced preview, we're gonna be studying Psalm 51, one of these penitential psalms. And, and we're gonna be learning together how we can come to God with our sin and bring him that and receive from him forgiveness and, and cleansing. And maybe this week, you'll wanna read Psalm 51 ahead of time and kind of pray through it and just take time to allow God to speak to your hearts. This should be happening regularly in our lives where we just say to God, God, I need you to show me my hidden faults. Maybe it's a habit, maybe it's an attitude, maybe this week I didn't speak the truth, God. Maybe it's anger, maybe it's lust, maybe it's pride, maybe it's just plain selfishness, God, but I need you to show me my sin so I can confess it and you can forgive it. Last category, it's called enthronement psalms. These are psalms that celebrate God's ultimate reign. And, and these psalms are kind of, in a sense, about government. Um, I mentioned at the start that there are two basic divisions of psalms. There's hymns and there are laments, and they are for different occasions. I just have a simple question here. Uh, which kind of psalm would you be most likely to use on April 15th? Hymns or laments? That would be a lament. And this just highlights the reality that people have always complained about government. They did it in Bible times, but they also back then did something else. They celebrated that God was their ultimate king and that one day the world would be run as God intends it to be run. They wrote enthronement psalms to remind themselves of that coming reality. And so when they were in the midst of sickness, when they were in the midst of poverty, sometimes when they had been exiled away from their homes, they were under the, uh, the Babylonian or the Assyrian captivity, when Jerusalem and the temple were just nothing but distant memories, they would read these psalms and they would pray these psalms and they would remember our God reigns. Maybe today someone in this room is going through a kind of a time of exile, having a hard time. Maybe, maybe they need the ministry of the body. And if you, if you know that is someone, maybe you can use God's grace and mercy to help them. Maybe you just wanna put a hand on their shoulder, give them a hug, give them a, a squeeze of the hand for a moment because they're just real precious to you. Also, you know, part of recognizing that God is king, that he reigns is obeying him. And you know, one of his most important commands is that we be baptized. We already mentioned this early in the service, but I just wanna bring this up. Do you need to obey him in this way today? You've trusted in Christ, you've turned from your sins, you've asked him to forgive you, but you've never obeyed him by being baptized. Do you need to do that today to recognize through your action our God reigns? Now, in just a moment, we're going to close uh, this service or this time by reading part of an enthronement psalm and then we're gonna sing together to our king. And I, I want us just to read um, parts of Psalm 96, which is one of the enthronement psalms. And I want us to read uh, these verses with great passion, remembering that our God does reign and he is worthy of our praise and to kind of help us with that, I'm gonna ask you to stand. Would you just join me? And as we stand, our worship team is gonna come and get ready to lead us in a great song of 
of praise uh, to our God, a, a song that celebrates God's reign. But let's read right here uh, these verses from Psalm 96. Join me. Sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord, praise his name. Proclaim his salvation day after day. Declare his glory among the nations, his marvelous deeds among all peoples. For great is the Lord and most worthy of praise. He is to be feared above all gods. Ascribe to the Lord, O families of nations, ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due his name. Bring an offering and come into his courts. Worship the Lord in the splendor of his holiness. Tremble before him all the earth. Say among the nations, the Lord reigns. Would you say that? The Lord reigns. Say it again. The Lord reigns. He's God. We are his people. He reigns. And we get to worship his beauty, his splendor. With this in your hearts, this in your minds, with everything we've experienced this morning, encountering God's word, would you join with our team as we sing about our King, the God who reigns forever.